Excellence Expected, the inspirational business advice podcast. Hey there, folks. Welcome to another episode of Excellence Expected with me, Mark Asquith. Now, the issue that we're going to challenge today is around creating employees that perform as leaders. Now, we've spoken about employee motivation. We've spoken about corporate culture. And we've spoken about really creating people that are ultimately enjoying themselves at work and giving people that responsibility where they want to come to work and they want to deliver. I'm looking forward to taking that a step further today with someone who has got a heck of a lot of experience in this field and someone that actually runs a fantastic podcast himself. So I'd love to welcome to the show, Mr. Brett Guider. Excellent. Well, thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. And now this is a really interesting topic because, we, as I say, we've spoken kind of about this. We've talked about retention. We've talked about motivation. But actually, you know, when I think back at it, we've never actually put this together around creating I guess the next generation of leaders very specifically through that kind of scenario. So I'm really looking forward to digging into this. But before we do, let's just tell the listeners a little bit about you, Brett. What is it you do and where do you come from? Um, I always I don't know how you deal with this question, Mark. I always find it an interesting question because I immediately think to myself, where do I start, right? Do I do I go back to the womb? That could take a while. But uh, <laughs> I always feel like I should yeah. make an interesting story up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I've, I've, I've quite enjoyed, uh, you mentioned I have a podcast where there's smoke, and I've quite enjoyed the bio I put up there because it, it's all true, but it comes across sounding really great. It talks about the fact that I've started a couple of million dollar businesses. I've traveled to 40 countries. I've escaped from Alcatraz, which gets people's attention. Um, but I think, I think the, the, you know, the short of it is that I, so I grew up in Toronto, Canada, and um, around, at, at, right at 25, I had a quarter life crisis, as I like to call it. And thought, what the heck am I doing with my life? And I decided to go to San Francisco, mostly on a whim. Um, and my plan was to go to San Francisco, save some money, and then travel around the world. Which, if anyone knows anything about San Francisco, that's kind of a crazy plan, being it's probably the second most expensive city in North America to live in. Um, but what I also did was I ended up going to San Francisco in 1996, right at the beginning of the dot-com boom. So I was kind of in the right place at the right time. And ended up getting dragged in with a couple of guys to start a company. And we had a, basically a marketing company. We weren't an IT company, but we ended up kind of riding the coattails of the dot-com boom. And for nine years, uh, we built that company from zero to, not huge, but probably zero to about five million. And we had big partnerships with Accenture and IBM and Microsoft and all these companies. And from day one, I was the senior vice president of business development and sales, which <laughs> was a title I had not earned on day one. But uh, by the end of nine years, I had definitely earned it. and. Um, and during that, during that period of time, I just got really interested in self-development and also how to be better at, you know, I, I trained myself on how to do sales and how to communicate with people and how to build cultures and build teams. I, I kind of was forced into it because I instantaneously was in charge of the sales team that I had no idea how to run. And in that process, I just found that I really loved doing that. I really loved working with people around uh, how to build themselves and how to build companies. And that's ultimately when I left my company, that's what I left to do. I left to full-time become a you know professional speaker, facilitator, coach in both self-development and business development. And uh, for the last five years now, I've been working with mostly you know Fortune 1000 companies, big organizations like eBay and Microsoft and Bank of America and, and the sorts. And, um, and then just launched a podcast about six months ago to really take 
everything that I have <laughs> absorbed in the last, you know, 15 to 20 years of my life and share it with people so that, uh, you know, hopefully they can work on whatever they want to work on and get better at not only be themselves, but get better at building businesses. Well, that's a serious pedigree. And I, I completely relate. And I'm sure a lot of listeners out there will relate to the idea that, you know, when you're a bit younger, you kind of, okay, I've got this title. And I kind of need to grow into this now. And it's, I mean, you dive into that at a young age, don't you You think, yeah, this is cool. I've I've got this, I've got this. And you know, when you look back at it, it's amazing how much you learn, isn't it? So I love the idea that you've put that together into a podcast. And uh, just before we dive in a little bit further, let's just tell people where they can find that podcast online. I'd I'd love people to, to check that out. Sure. Um, well, you obviously, if you just go to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher you use and you look up where there's smoke, so as in the idiom, where there's smoke, there's fire, you'll find it. You can also go to where there's smoke.co and uh, that's our website and you can find links to everything there. Super stuff. Fantastic stuff. So let's dig in a bit further into this kind of cultural idea then. And the one thing that I'd like to pick up on actually, Brett, is, you know, you've done this effectively for the last 20 years, maybe. And what I'd like to just look at is how has that changed? How has company culture, the idea that you can nurture employees within a business, how has that landscape changed over the last couple of decades? Oh, man. Um, it, I mean, it's changed a lot. And, and there's so many things I think I could speak to. Uh, a couple that instantaneously uh, hopped into my head was, uh, well, first of all, I mean, we've obviously changed from this idea of the carrot and the stick, right? We, we don't, we don't motivate people anymore with, uh, you know, whether it's money or whether it's, oh, well, if you'd work really hard, you can have this job for 30, 40 years and then you can retire or, you know, whatever it might be that that doesn't work anymore. Now what we've seen and, and people talk about it with regards to millennials, but it started with Gen X. And frankly, I think it's bled into all generations. I think even baby boomers who are still working feel this way now because it's our world, which is the fact that it's so much more about intrinsic motivation. You know, there's a, a great uh, TED talk that I'm sure many people have seen because it's one of the top TED talks ever, which is Dan Pink talking about the puzzle of motivation. And, he, you know, he talks about it, about how we do things now because they matter to us, because they're interesting to us, because we feel like we're making a difference. I, I often connect it to uh, Tony Robbins' Six Human Needs as well. And again, that's that's not, you know, human psychology that Tony Robbins created. He just grouped it together and gave it a nice title. But the, the truth of it is that one of the things that people want to feel in their life is they want to feel a sense of contribution. They want to feel a sense of growth. And I, I think that desire, I don't think the desire has grown in our society over the last, let's say, 30 years. I think the acceptance of it has grown. So now, whereas 30 years ago, someone might have been working in a company and going and thinking, man, I want to contribute more. I, I want to have more autonomy. I want to have more leadership within my role. They thought to themselves, well, I better just shut up and do my job because no one's going to want to hear that. And now we live in a world where people feel that way and they think they can stand up and talk about it. And so now companies have to deal with it. And I think that's a really, really big change that companies have to be willing to give every employee, whether it's the guy in the mailroom or you know, mid-management to SVPs, give everyone in the, in the organization some sort of sense of accountability, responsibility, and leadership. Because unless they feel that, I really don't believe they're going to stay very long. Um, and they're probably going to go, go somewhere else. So, so it, just, it makes it, you know, it, it's just a new dynamic. And I think it's a cool dynamic because I think if you can do it right, what you have is a group of hundreds to thousands of people that are going to work every day because they care about what they're doing as opposed to the fact that they're supposed to do it. 
I, I, that resonates so, so much with me because that, I mean, we see that so often, you know, this kind of shift in, in, in attitude, really, especially across the kind of, as you said, the boomer generation that are really, they kind of tend to fall one way or the other. They go entirely against this new cultural panacea, if you like, or they, they really just rush towards it and embrace it. And I, I always find that the businesses that we enjoy doing business with are the ones that embrace it because no matter what level you're talking to, you know, theoretically the, uh, let's talk traditional hierarchy, no matter what level you're talking to, the engagement's there, the passion's there, the drive's there, people are ready to collaborate. And I just want to pick up on the idea of the collaboration as well, because if you create this bench of willing leaders, people that are passionate about what they do, people that are driven and want to turn up to work, do you feel that we kind of get better results as a business, because collaboration is just part of the working day. Well, I mean, yes, for sure. I think we're, you know, we're always, or for the most part, we're always going to be greater than the sum of our parts. I also think another thing that has changed, actually, as you say that, Mark, another thing that's changed in the way businesses are run today is they're not as siloed as they used to be. So businesses used to be a lot more siloed, meaning just that, you know, you had this division that did this and this division that did this and this division that did this. And each person in that division, for the most part, I was depending on the people underneath me, right? The people that worked for me, I needed stuff from them so that I could get my stuff done to give it to the people that I work for. And that was, that was, it's kind of like the food chain. That's how it worked. And now those silos don't exist so much anymore and everything overlaps so much. And all of a sudden I'm in a situation where in order for me to get done what I have to get done, there's three or four people that I need to be able to collaborate with, that I need to influence, that need to get me their stuff on time. And I don't have any sort of um, authority over any of them, right? They're my peers. So now this idea of collaboration becomes so much more important because there's so much overlapping with the divisions and with what have to get done that if, if you don't have people that are working together and again, supporting each other, for the sake of supporting each other as opposed to because I have to, it won't work because the truth of it is they don't have to. <laughs> they, they don't work for you. They, they work with you and, and you just you know, need them to do what they do in order to get everything done. Yeah, I, I get that. And I, I completely phrased that question terribly, terribly, terribly. That's why I was <laughs> alluding to that kind of the idea that, as you said, across division. And when, when we see it, certainly in agency life, when you see the old classic is the designers and the developers sat opposite sides of a wall and no one really talking to each other. And I think that's what I was kind of trying to get at there is the idea that you've got people that just want to collaborate more and more and more because they are, they've got so much more belief in the end product, in the output, in the outcome that they actually want to do a better job. You know, they want to be proud of what they're doing. And, you know, I sort of see that across any kind of industry that you're in, even the more traditional feeling industries. You know, we, we do a lot of work with accountants and solicitors and suddenly you're starting to see really at a base level, you know, the junior accountant wanting to, wanting to get up and speak uh, at a marketing event because, you know, that's just what they want to do now. And it's, you know, it empowers them. They've got some ownership. They've got a little bit of a personal brand going on. And I just find that whole cultural shift really, really interesting. I think one of the things that that leads to is that retention. And you mentioned it, uh, sorry, we mentioned it earlier on in the episode, you know, we covered retention to a degree but how can creating this culture, this culture where people are empowered, how can that really affect the retention rates of a business? What effect does that have on your business? Well, I, I think I'll say two things to this because I'll caveat it by saying that 
things have changed in our in our world as far as uh, you know how people approach careers and how people approach work with companies. And you know, especially now, we, we can definitely single millennials out here just because they're the they're the individuals that are coming into the workplace right now. I think that no matter how great a culture you create, you have to accept these days that people are going to leave. Um, and that is, that's okay. Because here's the thing. If you create an amazing culture, they'll come back. Right? I, I saw this a few years ago. We started working with, with Bloomberg, which is a global organization. And one of the things that Bloomberg had noticed in their organization was that um, – they, they, they set up this, they realized that people were trying to hold on to people, right? So you've got, you got a, a new employee, they're working for you, you're teaching them just so much, but you don't really want to empower them too much because you're kind of afraid if you empower them too much, they're going to leave. And so there was this dichotomy where they were saying, well, we want to build leaders, but then they were noticing their managers were kind of holding people back because they were afraid if they gave them too much, they'd leave or they'd lose them to another division. And so Bloomberg came out and did this global launch. And, and we, the company I was working with at the time was a part of it. It was a, a global speech that was cast all over the world. And we were in something like 25 cities at once. And we did these keynote addresses all on the same day. And the whole thing was about the fact that, you know what we're going to do? We are going to, our goal is going to be to make each of our employees as great as they can be, period. And if that means we make them so great that they leave and go work for our competition, okay. If that means you make them so great or you help them figure out who they want to be and they go, oh my gosh, I actually don't want to work in this industry and they quit, okay. Or they go, wow, I do want to work here, but I think I'm in the wrong division, okay. That we're not going to have this scarcity. We're going we're gonna to build leaders, period. And part of the reason they were doing this was they also realized that what happens is kids come out of college and they're going to leave. But what they started to notice was that when they were looking at people in their mid-30s and they, when they got to the point where they said, okay, you know what, now I'm ready to plant my feet somewhere, you know, to put my flag somewhere and spend the next, let's say, 15 years, they were going back to the company they were at in their 20s where they had a manager or you know, a leader or somebody who actually treated them uh, you know, like, like, like a leader themselves. I, I often think about it like there's two or three teachers in my life that I remember because they saw me bigger than I saw myself and they empowered me. And I remember those teachers to this day. And so I, I, I think that it is about retention, but it's also about realizing that someone coming out of college and, and going in, into it, they're going to they're gonna expect to spend two years here, two years here, three years here, two years here. So I think you've got to be okay with losing people. But I think what you're also building is a brand. Right? I almost think about it like sports. Like everybody wants to play for Manchester United or, well, maybe not so much anymore, but, but uh, <laughs> they used to. Um, you know, everybody wants to play for, for the Yankees. Everybody wants to play for the, for the Los Angeles Lakers. You build these brands, right? Everyone wants to play for Barcelona. You build a brand and you, it's just like a company, right? If Microsoft builds this brand that every kid wants to play at, for lack of a better word, then even if those kids come out of college, they spend two, three years, they're never going to have problems replacing them because everyone's going to be like, wow, I want to play for that team. So I think that's, that's part of it. You, you create the culture. And then, yes, there will be some people that stay because ultimately, again, you know, people want to be somewhere where they have autonomy, where they're making a difference, et cetera. But I think you also have to be okay with, the, with understanding that retention doesn't look quite the same as it looked a few years ago. So I know I, I kind of answered your question, but I also kind of told you your question is, is a little different these days, but I think that's really the answer. I think that's a really valuable point though for people listening out there because the idea of, of, of retention or the meaning of the word retention shifting. 
I think that's really, really important to know because, as you say, what you're doing is really creating sort of an ambassador for your company. Right, uh, right. You know, and the idea that you're not, people aren't going to leave and, and, and talk down about your company. They're going to talk it up, you know, and it's going to attract other talent, or as you say, they're going to come back in later life and, and want to give as much as they gave in the 20s. So I think that's a really, really interesting point that not a lot of people actually would have would have read between the lines and seen. So I think that's fantastic. And I guess stemming from that then, I got a question around some of the challenges because that is quite a, it is quite a shift and it's quite yeah. a mentality shift for a lot of people that perhaps are managing or were managing when things weren't quite like they are now. What kind of challenges does, does that bring for an organization creating this kind of leadership culture? What, what are some of the things that you butt up against sometimes? Well, I, I think you you got to make sure that you're you're looking at the big picture because in the small picture, it can feel like for some people, it can feel like it's costing you a lot of money, right? I mean, one of the things I'm sure you're aware of and many of your listeners are, but you know, some people who maybe don't haven't owned their own companies or don't work at a management level might not realize is how much it actually costs to onboard a new employee. I mean, one of the reasons why companies are so adamant about this idea of retention is the really at some, sometimes the insane expense to onboard a new employee. And that includes the time it takes to find them, what they pay to recruiters, and then all the time it takes to train them and get them up to speed and, it's, and realizing that they're, you know, they're not going to do their, that job as well for the first three to six months as the person who did it before. So the cost is, is intense. And so there can be this feeling of if you're the manager, you're losing people. You just think, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But then when you think about this other idea that if you are building a very, you know, a great culture, an empowering culture, a culture of autonomy, that there's also, that's also affecting your, your uh, efficiency in great ways, you know, and your quality in great ways. And so sometimes it's hard to see because the big picture might be that the company is actually doing much better and that there is, um, you know, the our brand is building, our, our quality is going up, our, our, our effectiveness and efficiency is going up. But then I'm in this role here where I'm the guy who's replacing someone new every year. And to me, it just feels like this is just sucking us dry, right? So I think some of it becomes a little bit of a mindset game of, of being able to uh, you know, accept that that's going to happen and decide what you want to focus on, right? We talk a lot about in, my, in, in the idea of mindset, you talk a lot about reframing, which is you know, just simply that how do we see something or what do we choose to focus on? And so, you know, part of you can say, well, God, we keep losing people and, and it's costing us so much money and it's so much work. And another part of you can say, well, wow, we always have new people coming in who are bringing in fresh energy and fresh ideas. And it's so great because, you know, a lot of times when you have the same team for five years, you don't even see your own blind spots and you start to do things the same. And it's kind of like the telephone game. I whispered in your ear and, you know, down the line, it's something totally different. So the fact that we have these new people coming in all the time is so great because it keeps us on our toes. It keeps us fresh. And, and again, neither one of those is true, right? It's, it's, it's not true that it's great and it's not true that it's terrible. It's just about how we're looking at it. And so I think that one of the things is just choosing to see how you're framing things and how you're looking at things. And as simple a question as, you know, if, if it's frustrating for you, if you're out there right now and you're listening, and you're going, God, this whole thing about retention and losing people is really frustrating. Ask a question of, well, what could be good about it? You know, what's the silver lining? Or if, 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 if I said to you, well, you have to tell me what's great about it, what's great about it. And I think that a simple attitude reframe can often go a long way. I think that's important in any aspect of business, isn't it? The idea that, you know, sometimes you may not be seeing things in the most 
positive light or sometimes yeah. circumstances are, are dictating perhaps how you, you, you are <clears throat> framing your own problems or issues or even opportunities. You know, we see things differently depending on, on our outlook. I will, Mark, just to interrupt because I want to make sure I get this in too because I also want to put in something a, a little bit more tangible and actionable. Um, it's also really important. I mean, when you're bringing people through your doors, you know, you've got a new hire, someone coming into your organization, to sit down and spend some time with them and understand what their vision is for their life, right? And what I mean by that is a lot of times, you know, we, 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 you know, we hire someone and we might say to them, okay, well, what do you expect out of this job? Or, you know, if I'm at Microsoft, I might say, well, how is it that you want to contribute at Microsoft? And the whole conversation becomes about this, you know, this internal thing. But if you actually have a conversation with someone and say, well, you know, what is it that you're, if you, you know, if we're sitting here five years from today and we're having this conversation again, and you have had an incredible five years and your life looks the way you would have expected it to look in five years. As a matter of fact, it's even better than you would have expected Tell me about your life, not just your job at Microsoft, but tell me about your life. And you start to hear about, you know, what their lifestyle, what they want to be and the difference they want to make. You start to find out who is the person they want to become. Because again, this is another thing that I think is a little bit different is that this is stuff is, is being talked about more. So I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to work at Microsoft if it is going to get me where I want to go in my life, not just in my career. And so I think understanding, you know, what, your employees want in their life, their family, their freedom, their vacations, their whatever, that's going to help you to then create a job or an environment that actually serves their life vision more than on top of just maybe what they want out of their career. I think that's really curious. I mean, it sounds obvious when you say, but I, I get that people forget that. And the one thing that I take from that is the idea that, I mean, we live in this, this kind of world of communications all the time. You know, people are just connected all of the time. This work-life balance is becoming so blurred. The line between work and life is just, just becoming so skewed so often. I love the idea of digging into someone and saying, listen, you know, what do you want? What can I help you with? What value can I bring to give you the life that you want? And not really being stuck to this kind of nine to five culture, this coats on the back of seats culture, and actually approaching people as friends, approaching people with genuine relationships in mind and, and actually saying, well, look, let's work together to figure out how we can get you where you want to be. And I think that is really, really important. And the one thing that that just leads me on to is that a lot of listeners out there are small businesses. Is this something that even the smallest business can work with? Is it, It's not reserved for the biggest out there, is it? Oh, no, not at all. And as a matter of fact, the reason I think this is such a big deal in big companies where you've got to figure out ways to give people autonomy and let people have leadership is because it's more about people in big companies feeling like they're working for small companies, right? Or people in big companies feeling like they're, they're actually running their own company, right? I mean, ideally, if, if a manager at Microsoft who's you know, one little tidbit in a, you know, multi, multi-billion dollar company feels like he's running his own company, then that's, then that's, that's where you get this kind of feeling of intrinsic motivation and ownership. So in small businesses, th that's what people feel, but it's the same thing, right? So if, if I'm running a small business and I have five employees and it's just my business, those five employees have no vested interest in it. They don't own it. Well, again, what's going to get them excited every day, right? I, 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 again, just to reference kind of some external things that I think can help with this, the, you know, Simon Sinek's TED Talk on Start With Why, right? It's like people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. 
know, if you can get people excited about your vision, excited about what you're doing, then then they're they're gonna that's gonna be one piece of the puzzle. Like, wow, okay, this is cool. I wanna, you know, I wanna support Mark in making this vision happen. I wanna support Brett in making this vision happen. And then in turn, if I can sit down and have a conversation with them and be like, look, man, like where do you want to be in five years? You know, what, what's your lifestyle look like? And I can say, okay, I'm committed to helping you get there. What, whatever, whether that means you're working for me in five years or not, like, like w- this journey you're going to take with our company is going to help you get there. Well, now you've got this two-way street where they're like, oh, wow. Because how many, how many bosses, employees, employers, whoever, sit down and have that conversation with someone? I can tell you very few. And when they do, I've seen the results. I've seen what happens when people are like, wow, like, you know, my, my company, my boss, they, they, they actually want to help me get where I want to go. And like we said earlier about even if people leave, they become an evangelist, a champion for your company, no matter where they go. And so I don't think it's any different if it's small or big, it's the same thing. I love that. And I think that's what a lot of people worry about, especially in small business, all these, what appear to be grand ideas, you know, I'm going to create a company culture. It sounds, it does sound so big, but it's the little things that lead to the big ideas. So I, I totally agree wholeheartedly that it is for everyone. It's just about the personal relationships for me. I think that's, that's vital. And that leads us on perfectly, actually, Brett, onto the actionable takeaway section. So if there are listeners out there who are looking at increasing employee motivation, accountability, and really trying to create this kind of culture of leadership, this two-way street. And I, I love that phrase, the creating a two-way street. I think that's fantastic. What can these guys do to set themselves on the way? What are the actionable tips that you've got? Let's dig into actionable tip number one, please, sir. All right, you got it. And I'm just going to, I'm going to preface this by saying, Mark, that you asked me about these tips when we set up this, this interview and I actually wrote them to you and now I'm looking at them and I'm realizing that all three of them line up with three different episodes of where there's smoke. So I'm just, I'm giving a blatant self-promotion warning <laughs> that, uh, that, that I'm, I'm going to let. I'm going to link each of these to an episode because if you want a deeper dive, I think they're all three great episodes. So actionable tip number one, which is I would imagine something your audience has heard before, is that appreciation is much more powerful than money or title, right? And it goes back to that carrot stick and intrinsic motivation. I mean, it is incredible what we've seen in that regard with regards to studies across the board that show that in most cases, the number one thing that people want and the number one reason people will stay working somewhere far more than benefits, far more than how much they get paid, is that they feel appreciated for what they do. So that's number one. And I'll, I'll link that to our, our second episode of Where There's Smoke, which is called, it's actually uh, named after a Maya Angelou quote, uh, people will never forget how you made them feel with appreciation in brackets. And, and you can do a deeper dive on that in that episode. But appreciation has, has been one of my major tools in my life when I've had teams. I love that. Maya Angelou, what an amazing person. Do you know, I had someone on the show a while ago that had actually met Maya Angelou and uh, just blew my mind. Yeah, she's, I mean, she's been one of, definitely one of the pivotal forces in my life as an inspiration. Absolutely. And I'm sure there's a lot of people listening that would echo that. So superb first tip, appreciation is much more powerful than money or title. Let's dig into actionable tip number two then, sir. Uh, so actual tip number two actually comes from uh, the verbiage of it comes from a guest I had on the podcast as well. We were doing an, epi- an episode on empathy and he had this idea that it's not about here I am, it's about there you are. 
Okay. And if you think about from a standpoint of empathy, it's meaning that, you know, oftentimes when we have interactions with people, we're a lot more focused on, you know, another way people phrase it is it's more important to be interested than interesting, right? So a lot of times we're having these conversations and we're thinking it's all about, you know, us, us. But what if every interaction you had, you could make other people feel like, wow, there you are. Like, I am really noticing you. I'm aware of you, uh, and I'm and I'm and I want to understand you better. So that that phrase, it's not about here I am; it's about there you are, is really just about saying that you know this empathy and understanding others is really a key, uh, you know, influencing tool, communication tool, team building tool. I love that. And uh, sorry, what was the episode of where they smoke? Where they can uh, find that? That is, um, I can't remember the name. Oh, actually, the episode's called "There You Are," and in the brackets is empathy. So there you go. Easy enough. Super stuff. Check it out, guys. Don't forget. Check it out. And the third and final tip, please. Uh, so again, you know, some of these things are, as people hear them, you're going to go, I've heard this a hundred times or a million times. And I'll suggest the reason you've heard it a million times is because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, common sense isn't always common practice. So actionable tip number three is listen more than you speak. And then I caveated that by saying, and I mean, really listen because it's one thing to just hear people it's another thing to listen and uh, this is this goes back to episode 1 of our show actually which is uh called the the like button is the dislike button uh and you'll find out what that means when you listen to the show but you know a lot of people listen from this place of uh you know I already know yes or no agree. they're listening to people and they're going uh huh uh huh no 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 uh huh uh huh and it's this idea of how do we really listen to people so we're hearing what they say and you know all the clichés you've heard there's a reason you have two ears and one mouth and all that stuff but at the end of the day it's true and and especially if you're in a business where you know you have customers i mean customer service really just comes down to listening to people and really like understanding what's going on for them and what they want. So uh, I, another one of my favorite phrases is, you know, it's, it's cliche because it's true. <laughs> so I uh, remember it. I love it. Listen more than you speak and really, really actually listen. I think that's, that's vital. It comes up quite a lot on the show as well. That. And I think, as you say, cliches are cliches because they're true. I, I, yeah. No true word has been spoken. So yeah, don't take that for granted. It's very easy to do so. So don't take that for granted guys brett that is such a powerful episode thank you so much i think there's there's so much to take from that no matter which way you slice that i think you can take a heck of a lot from it if you're listening out there so brett thank you so much for doing that and just before we wrap up do you want to tell the guys listening i know we've done it before but where they can actually find you online uh yeah absolutely i mean i think right now i guide everyone to the podcast because i think it's the best place to to get an entrance into us so if you go to you know where there's smoke.co or find where there's smoke on itunes or your podcatcher that's great and i love interacting with people on twitter so just at brett gaida b-r-e-t-t-g-a-j-d-a you can find me there and you know certainly from that point if we want to uh, you know connect up one-on-one for anything we can do that super stuff check it out guys brett thank you so much sir Mark, it's been a real, real pleasure, man. Thank you. All the very best. And guys, for you guys listening out there, don't forget all of the show notes, everything that myself and Brett have spoken about, including links to all of Brett's podcast episodes at Where's the Smoke, will be featured in the show notes at excellence-expected.com. And as ever, don't forget whilst you're over there, you can pick up your free copy of the essential 14-day guide to cutting your working hours and increasing your impact. Check it out. I'm sure you'll like it. And until next time, don't forget, the more you expect from yourself, the more you will excel. Goodbye for now.